stumbled onto Theology for Teens with Nathan LaValley. Thanks for joining me today. We are starting a little series on a foundational topic to the Christian faith. If we don't understand this one, we really aren't going to be able to understand any theological topic. So we're starting a little series on the topic of revelation, which is how God has revealed himself over the course of time. There's different kinds of revelation. There's different things we need to understand, and we're going to come to Scripture, and how do we understand the revelation of Scripture? But today we have to talk about a topic by the name of general revelation. It sets off our entire theological conversation. Most theological systematics actually start with this topic because it's kind of critical. Uh, Now, I want to get you interested in this in a bit of a backwards way. So let me just show you some graphics that are about statistics that are about a thing that general revelation really affects. Our understanding of general revelation, it really affects these things. So check this out. I found this. About 70% of evangelicals have never been told that there's 1.6 billion unevangelized people in the world. So in other words, of the people who think you should be evangelizing, I know that's not exactly the definition of an evangelical, but of people who think that, they definitely do, many of them don't even know that there is a massive amount of people that have never heard the gospel. Now, in addition to this, the Western church isn't doing a great job with regards to evangelizing to these unreached people groups. If we look at the way, software update, if we look at the way that the Western church spends their money, 93% of it goes to local work, 5.4% of it to missions to countries that are already Christian, and then a small fraction goes to missions to unreached people groups. And even of that, there's kind of a commentary here, which is that 90% of that is actually missionaries who are foreign to that people group, rather than training and equipping people who came from those people groups to go back and evangelize and reach those people. So there's a problem here. And the problem is this. What is happening to these people who die and haven't heard the name of Jesus? What is happening? This is a bit of a problem. And let me unpack why that's a problem. Scripture is very clear that Jesus is the only way to the Father. I'm going to show you just a couple passages here. We'll start out with John 14, 6. It reads this. Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's also go ahead and look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation exists in no one else. This is talking about Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And then I'll show you one more as well. We're going to take a look at... Actually, we'll do this. Let's look at John 3.16. This is a passage most people have memorized who are Christians. It's kind of the first one people memorize. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, there's a bit of a thing here that most people don't know the words that follow this. Let me read the words that follow this. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. We're like, okay, yeah, I like that. But to save the world through him. Oh, that's cool. Whatever, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned. It's like, yeah, okay, this kind of fits with the theme that I'm getting here. But then it goes on. It says, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And of course, later in this passage in verse 36, let me uh, go over there, kind of improvising now. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. And so these passages, I mean, and many, many, many more. We could talk about 1 Timothy 2.5. I mean, we could talk about a lot. 
very explicitly set up the fact that it's only those who believe in Jesus who experience salvation. Jesus provides this atonement and brings us into a right relationship with God. And without Jesus, there is no way to do that. There is no way to be in right relationship with God except through Jesus. And I mean, seriously, all of scripture, all of the New Testament scripture and a lot of the Old Testament scripture points to that reality. Now, this, like I said, creates a problem, which is that there are people, it seems, who are dying and have not heard the name of Jesus. And what is happening to those people? Are they going to hell? Are they being unjustly judged because they never had the chance to respond in the first place. And this is where our conception of general revelation is just critical. So I'm going to pull into a story here in the book of Acts, and this is Acts chapter 10. Now, Acts chapter 10 tells us a story of a man named Cornelius and also Peter. You may have heard of Peter. He was one of the original followers of Jesus. He is the per one of the people that God sets up the early church with. And up until the point of Acts 10, the early church had completely misinterpreted their mission. When God gave the Great Commission, he said, uh, baptizing people of all nations. But they actually took this to mean we need to just go after the Jews. We need to just go after the people who are Jewish. Christianity is just a, you know, a continuation of Judaism. It's not a new thing. And the Gentiles, they're unclean. And we... But here in Acts 10, Peter comes to realize this isn't true. And it takes a vision from God. God gives him a vision. And all these animals descend on a blanket or a table. There's different ways of understanding in this vision that Peter has on a rooftop. He's hungry. All these animals descend and God says, Peter, go kill and eat. And it happens three times before Peter finally has a messenger who comes to him. And we know that from earlier in Acts 10, this messenger was sent by Cornelius because Cornelius also had a vision. And in the vision that God gave Cornelius in this um, in this revelation that God gave Cornelius, he says, go and send servants for Peter. You'll find them at this place. And so this connection is made. And Peter goes with them to Cornelius's house and Cornelius unpacks what's happened. And Peter's there. And we make our way to Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 30. We're going to read here together just for a moment. We'll do some skipping around. It says, Cornelius answered four days ago, I was in my house praying at this, the ninth hour. Suddenly a man in radiant clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your gifts to the poor have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa for Simon. And so he sends immediately for Simon. He's recounting the story to Peter at this point. And so uh, we, we keep going here. Verse 34, it says, then Peter began to speak. I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism, but welcomes those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. He has sent this message to the people of Israel, proclaiming the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He gives this big speech here. And uh, finally, finally, we get to this portion. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, this is verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard his message, all the people there in that house. All the circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles, for they heard the Gentiles speaking in tongues and exalting God. So then Peter turns to the room. He's like, can anyone withhold the water to baptize these people? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so this is an example of God actually coming into this dilemma we have, which is that Cornelius was not a believer. Cornelius was not a Christian. He didn't believe in Jesus. Perceivably, he hadn't heard of Jesus at this point. He heard that the church maybe was doing things. It said he believed in God, but that wasn't Jesus and believe in a general God. Scripture does, does not say that that saves you. But 
in his faithfulness, God actually comes in and unites him with someone who can bring the gospel message to him. And this brings up a really important point, which is this, when you're faithful, when you're faithful, God will make sure you have what you need. And for people who don't know Jesus, they've been faithful to God. The thing they need is Jesus and God will make sure that you have this. There are testimonies of people who grew up in India and also even in indigenous tribes, places that had never heard of Jesus, had never had missionaries and, and were completely cut off from the world, who had dreams about men in white. And this was a perfect man and love and gentleness. And they responded to this dream and they began searching and searching. And I think the reason for this is that they had responded positively to the general revelation of God. Now, this gets us into our theological topic, this topic of general revelation. And it's the very first topic in the doctrine of scripture and revelation. Now, let me explain what I think general revelation is. And I'm going to give you my definition. General revelation is the fact that God set up the world in such a way that every free creature would be able to know that there was a creator, there is a creator, and that that creator is worthy of worship and is greater than themselves. So God set up the world in such a way that humans would know this. And then additionally, this knowledge does not require any special communication from the creator. So right from the point of creation, when all of humanity is made, I mean, Adam and Eve are made and humanity spirals from that, God created the world in such a way where those creatures would be able to know that there's a creator worthy of praise greater than they are. Now, scripture testifies to this abundantly. And the first way it does this says that we receive knowledge of God through nature. And I put three passages on the screen. I'm going to let you explore these if you want to. One is Psalm 19. One is Job 36, 22 through 33, and one is Acts 14, 17. And these passages give us a very solid precedence to say that in nature, every single person, just seeing nature, actually gets to encounter the creator. Now, I want to pull up a quote from a guy by the name of Theodore of Sire. I'm probably butchering that. I'm so bad at enunciating names. And this guy, Theodore of Sire, actually gave commentary on Psalm 19. Let me go ahead and pull that up here and I'm going to read it to you. I'll put it on the screen as well if you're on YouTube. He says, if you observe a most mighty and magnificent building, you admire the builder. If you see a skillfully and beautifully designed ship, you think of the shipmaker. And at the sight of a painting, the painter comes to mind. Much more, to be sure, does the sight of creation lead the viewers to the creator. This so perfectly sums up this concept of general revelation through nature. We see nature. We see that all this beauty has been created and we're a part of it. And we go, that can't have just happened by accident. It can't have. And so every person through nature has the knowledge, has enough to know that God is real. A creator is real. Now, who that God is, is up for debate. And without identifying that God as Jesus, putting your faith in that God, it doesn't save, but we have enough to begin a quest and a search. Now, additionally, and maybe more foundationally even than this, is that God has revealed himself through our own moral compass, that God has written on every human's heart. Humanity's heart has morals embedded directly in them. And you can test this by asking any atheist, 
if it's wrong to do something? And they'll say yes, and you can understandably get this. Like, it's not just because we're Christians that we understand that things are right and wrong. I think God provides us the foundation and the reason for something to be right and wrong. But every single human has within them, has coded within them, the ability to understand right and wrong. Now, over the course of time, as we sin, as we do things that are not part of God's will, and we suppress the truth within us, this conscience gets rounded off and it becomes a little bit less useful. And in a day and age where, I mean, there are a lot of pressures to do things that are sinful and that are wrong, that the world is actively saying is not wrong, it's okay, it's good even, this is a difficult thing to maintain. Now, let me bring you to these passages, Romans 1, 18 through 32. We're just going to do a quick look-see at these. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For what may be known about God is plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. Men are without excuse. And if we fast forward, this is Romans 1, by the way, if we fast forward to Romans 2.14, we get this. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And so he says this, even people who don't believe are without an excuse. And this is the concept of general revelation. Now, general revelation brings us to a place of being aware that there is a creator without God having to tell us that specially. We are aware that there is a creator through nature and through our morals. And this does something really important. It makes it, as Paul says in Romans, that there is not a single man that has an adequate excuse for not seeking out that creator, not seeking out who that God is. Now, we could get into a deep and long conversation about the Old Testament and what about those people before the time of Jesus. That would be fun. I don't have time for it now. We don't have time. We need to stay on this topic. But we get to this point, and the point is uh, a word I'm going to bring in, and the word's going to sound weird. You might not be used to this word. It's universal condemnation. Now, because of general revelation, the fact that every human, regardless of if you've heard the gospel, is in a position to know that God and a creator is real and seek out that creator. What comes is universal condemnation. There is no one who can say on the day of judgment, God, I, I had no idea. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You saw nature and I wrote morals on your heart. That's enough. The idea is that God justly judges everyone and that because of general revelation, because we've experienced this uh, revelation from God not a special one, but every person has experienced this. God is just in judging humanity. Now, if this did not exist, if the doctrine of general revelation did not exist, and we're looking at this, you know, massive amount of unreached people, you know, we'd have a different dilemma. The dilemma would be, how can it be possible for God to justly judge these people? How can God hold them to the standard of not believing in Jesus when they have no idea that a God exists? 
They have, they have nothing to that effect. Well, general revelation, it comes in and it changes the conversation. No, no, they do know that, they can know that God exists. Everyone can know that God exists. The question is, what makes the jump from that to Jesus? That's the question. What makes the jump from a general knowing of God to Jesus? Because we need Jesus for salvation. You can't have it without him. There's no way to the Father except through him. And so this gets us to this question of the salvation path and, and what actually is needed for saving. And that is a deep conversation. We're going to avoid it. We're going to pivot right around it and move on to this. We're just going to say belief in Jesus for the time being. We're going to, you know, there's a lot of debates in this conversation about what is actually needed for salvation. Different Christian groups say different things. But we're going to blend belief in Jesus with the fact that many people may not have heard the name of Jesus, up to like over a billion people. And here's what it is. There are three ways to blend these issues uh, that that don't fall into full-blown universalism. Now, full-blown universalism, it's not good. It's not biblical. Um, there, there's not uh, scriptural adequate um, reason to believe this, but universalism says everyone will be saved through Jesus. No one ultimately ends up in hell. And I mean, that solves this issue. <laughs> you know, this tension that we're talking about is one of the tensions that universalism seeks to solve. But we have to ask, what is the evidence for that position? And when we survey scripture, we just don't find any. If you're someone who really knows their Bible, universalism is not going to be an appealing option to you because it just contradicts so many parables, so many teachings in the New Testament and the entire character of God throughout the Old and New Testament. So we get to these three options. Now, these options or universal gospel, relative judgment, and further revelation view. I want to thank um, Adam Harwood. His book, Christian Theology, has actually been really helpful in preparing this lesson. If you want to go right to the source of where I got a lot of this information, that's the book to look for. I'll put a link. But let me unpack these. The universal gospel is the idea that you actually don't need belief in Jesus to be saved. It's more broad than that. That's the basic summary of the universal gospel. Tries to draw on text from Revelation to, to assert this. But again, we come up against these scriptures we read in the beginning where Jesus himself says that he is the only way. And so this is a you know shifting of the definition of what is needed for salvation. The second one is the relative judgment view, which is to say that based on the amount that you've heard of Jesus, that is the amount of judgment you'll receive. Now, there's a lot of problems with this. The first one sought to modify the salvation path. This one seeks to modify the judgment of God. And it says that only those who have heard are going to receive any sort of judgment. And if you've heard only a little, you'll only receive a little bit of judgment. And if, you, if you've received a lot of revelation, you'll receive a lot of judgment. And this would be really bad news for my kids. Because my kids are growing up in a household where they're getting Bible reading every day and they are hearing about God and, and Jesus and they're getting tons and tons and tons of revelation. And if they reject God or don't have a big enough faith for the amount of revelation they have, they're in a bad position. Now, likewise, people who have never heard are in a really good position. They can do whatever they want. In fact, bringing the gospel to them would be seen as a bad thing. You are actually hurting those people, harming them and making it such where they are now having and experiencing judgment. And that's the revelation judgment 
the relative judgment view and its weakness is that it completely de-incentivizes evangelism. You shouldn't evangelize because the more you tell someone about God, the more you're going to bring judgment upon their head. And this doesn't seem like a good view in, in my estimation. Now, the third view, which is interesting, and it's exactly what I think is happening in Acts 10, is the further revelation view. The further revelation view says that people who respond positively to the general revelation of God will receive further specific revelation about Jesus. And it's exactly what Cornelius did. He responded positively to this innate knowledge that there is God, that there has to be an ultimate good. And God sends him a vision and an angel comes and he meets up with Peter and Peter brings the gospel to him and presents it to him and the Holy Spirit falls, boom, and they're filled. This is further revelation happening and taking place in scripture. And so to the question of what happens to people who have never heard the gospel and die, the point that the further revelation view is going to make is that there, you know, we're going to ask the question, is it possible that no one is dying who responded positively to general revelation and didn't receive further revelation? In other words, is it possible that every person who responds positively to this general revelation, to nature, to, to the morals written on their heart, that every single one of those people will be given enough knowledge, enough revelation, whether that's a dream, whether that's through a missionary, a scripture, whether it's through a friend saying something to you, an angel appearing to you, every one of them will be given enough to put their faith in Jesus and be saved. I think God is big enough for that. I think God is 100% capable of making all these threads tie up nicely where every person has an opportunity and people respond negatively to general revelation are cut off and special revelation of Jesus isn't needed because they didn't respond positively to the revelation they were given. So this is general revelation, a topic and long discussion on all the intricacies involved. Well, some of the intricacies involved with it. I hope this is making sense. Next week, we're moving on to special revelation. So we're going to look at all of the ways that God specially speaks, specially reveals himself to humanity. And we're going to try to piece together what does this look like today. After that, we'll be moving on to the Bible. And specifically, I'll be presenting an argument that I've made for the truthfulness of Scripture. And then we'll be free to move on because we'll be able to bring in the new format of evaluating theological topics and understanding that scripture is the authority for those things. So this is Nathan LaValley, Theology for Teens. Thank you for listening. Let me know what you think. Give some feedback with a comment. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast or follow it or whatever platform you're on, whatever the verbiage is. Do that. Hope to see you next week.